For the past several weeks, we have been a series called Steadfast, and really the, the aim of that has been our key verse, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, talking about first, be always steadfast and immovable. Not that churches and people of faith should be stuck, but that we should stand for certain things, that we should be grounded in certain ways. And so my challenge as we've started off has been, uh, first I talked about the nature of God, last week we talked about the mission of Jesus, and today we're going to talk about (laughs) the uh, how and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's that's a lot to cover, so as we begin today, I want to tell you, first of all, this lesson is about the Holy Spirit, but it is not a comprehensive study as Mr. Tandy has done. So you can easily sit back and say, well, uh, Steve could have done it better, and you're exactly right. Um, So I will encourage you to, if you are interested in the subject and a deeper study of the Holy Spirit, to check in with his class that he's doing on Wednesday nights uh, for an in-depth Old Testament, New Testament study on the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take a 30,000, maybe a 50,000 foot view this morning as we talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Um, he is mysterious to us, uh, just quite honestly. He is, he's not the Father, he, he's not the Son, but he is just as much God, just as much a part of the Godhead. Uh, he is mostly unseen in how he works, and yet he is very real. Uh, he was there at creation. He was there at Jesus' baptism. He was certainly uh, present and seen at Pentecost. Uh, he was all throughout the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit working. But the third part about the Holy Spirit is that he is majorly misunderstood, and sometimes abused, quite frankly. And I think there were some people of faith who, who got abusive, I will say, of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works and what he does, and got into some areas of false teaching about the Holy Spirit. But the, the Church of Christ response was a little bit swing the other way. <laughs> and in some cases, we got into a little bit of false doctrine of our own about the Holy Spirit and how he works and where he works and all of that. In fact, there's a great book uh, called The Forgotten God, and it's the subject is about the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a great title because we talk about God, we certainly understand Jesus, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he's a little bit different, and sometimes he's either abused ignored, or even completely forgotten. So for that reason, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles this morning. As I said, we're not going to give comprehensively, but we are going to fly over some scriptures that will be useful to you if you are interested in learning more about the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn to the book of John. Book of John, chapter 14, is where we're going to be. This is going to be kind of our anchoring verse. We'll certainly be in other scriptures as we go along. As you turn there, I want you to imagine the scene. The, the, the disciples are sitting to partake of the Passover with the rabbi. Now, this was not a new thing. They had done this before. Uh, twice, we think, uh, for sure, over the three-year ministry of Jesus. They, of course, have partaken of many Passovers uh, in their lifetime, no doubt. So it was familiar to them, though it was an annual ceremony, but it was familiar to them like the Lord's Supper is to us, and we take that weekly. 
This was something that they were used to, they were familiar with. If you've been around church a while, especially churches of Christ, you're familiar, you understand partaking of the Lord's Supper every week. And that's a good thing. This is something they had done before. And, and yet, this one, this time, is different. It's the same elements, it's the same meal, it's the same people, and yet, is different. We'll talk this morning about meeting around the table as you do with family. I appreciate that he gave us that, that picture, because that's, this is what's happening, both the Passover and in the Lord's Supper. This is different. This is a different kind of family meeting. Uh, Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples. He starts to, to talk about betrayal, and they're unsure of what this means. And then he, he broaches a subject that none of them want to hear, and it's this. Guys, I've got to go. I, I, I won't be here with you. Now, initially, they're thinking, what do you mean not here with us? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go that we can't go with you? Our whole lives, the past three years, have been about being with you and going with you everywhere you went. And now you're going somewhere without us? They must have felt very afraid. They must have felt almost like orphans. What do you mean? You brought us all this way? And for what? I'm picturing the scene from the, the movie Forrest Gump and, and Forrest decides he's going to go running because he's run away from his problems and he's running away from himself. And, and he just starts running because he's good at it and he likes to do it. He doesn't have to think about anything. So he goes for a run and he runs all over the country and all over the place. And it's kind of funny. And then people start to be inspired by his running. And he starts to amass disciples, <laughs> running disciples. That is a totally foreign concept to me. Okay. But anyway, here they are. They're all running together. They are running in this group, and they run everywhere. And then there's this great scene where he's running along. They're in the desert somewhere, and Forrest just says, yeah, I'm pretty tired. I think I'm going to go home. He turns around. He <laughs> starts walking back to Alabama. And his crowd of followers So, what are we supposed to do now? This is kind of how the disciples must have felt Passover. Well, what do you mean you're leaving? Well, well you're, you're the king. Don't you forget? We, I mean, they didn't. They had these dreams. Jesus didn't. We're going to make him king. What do you mean you're leaving? Where are you going? All right. Now we're in chapter 14. The scene is set. And I'm going to start in verse 15. He says, if you love me. You will keep my commandments. By the way, page 1156, if you don't know where John 14 is and you want to follow. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Now skip down to verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And Jesus had taught them in a limited way. 
that the Spirit was going to teach them all that they needed to know. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. His solution was the Holy Spirit. But they were likely asking, and maybe if you're a new Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're asking the question, well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we start to answer that question with the first word. (laughs) We understand that he is a who, not a what. He's a he, not an it. He's the person of the Godhead. The Greek word for Holy Spirit often that is used is the word paraclete. Okay? It, it sounds like you're playing baseball and you need a paracletes. Paraclete. Okay? It, the word means one called alongside another. An advocate to help. A helper, a counselor. Now he is unknown by the world. The world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. And that's also why we should not ignore the Holy Spirit. He says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's telling. That's a reminder to us that as people of faith and followers of Jesus that we, we believe in the Holy Spirit, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit, we look for him, we see him, and we know him. For you know him and he dwells with you and he will be with you. I want you now to turn to the book of Acts, which is the next time we see a major appearance by the Holy Spirit. Lots of different appearances. Uh, The first thing we understand about the Holy Spirit is he's a gift from God. Now, if I tell you to turn to Acts 2, 38, as a Church of Christ, if you're a long-time Church of Christ person, you're like, I'm already there. I already know. I already know what it says. Repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized, repent and be... Okay, I just want you to turn there and humor me because I think it helps us to re, re-familiarize ourselves with the promise that Peter made. He says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Jack Bosley was baptized a couple of weeks ago, he went into the water and were promised that when he was baptized, he came up, he was wet, but other than that, physically he hadn't changed. This change had all been done inwardly. He was forgiven of his sins, and he had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You say, how does that work? Was there some jolt? Did he feel it? No. It's a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. So he's a gift from God. He was promised at Pentecost. He's promised to all Christians. And he's he's not only promised by Jesus, but he's re-promised by Peter in Acts chapter 2. He indwells all Christians, and we believe that at the moment you express faith in Christ, repent of sin, and obey him in baptism, that you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as you are the forgiveness of sins. That's a gift from God. When you become a Christian, you receive two great gifts. First, the forgiveness of sins, and second, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And both of them are wonderful gifts. Second, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He was to the apostles, and he is to us. Remember verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
Uh, the, the word another, well, of course, Jesus was the first helper. <laughs> we talked about that with his mission that he was on, that he came to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. But he was leaving. He was going to leave them, but he wasn't leaving them alone because of the second helper, which is the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 of John 14 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. On Sundays, whether you're Bible class or in worship, you want to know what Jesus said, you can see some of what he said by turning to the Gospels. You can look at the commands of Jesus by reading the New Testament. You You can see the commands that Jesus gave and that the apostles gave. But they didn't always have a book to turn to. Didn't for centuries, in fact. The Holy Spirit was the one he would remind them of everything that Jesus had said. I want you to think for just a minute. If someone asks you, um, could you remember every single thing that you have learned in the last three years in your Bible class? Could you recall every single sermon that Toby has preached in the last three years? Oh, you might remember some things, but my guess is you wouldn't remember everything that you needed to remember. Oh, I have to look that up on the podcast. I have to find that on Vimeo. I'll have to go ask the teacher because I'm not sure. Well, the Holy Spirit was designed to help them remember everything that Jesus would te- what, had taught them and guide them as they built and established the church, as we see happening in the book of Acts. So, he was a, a, a helper. Uh, again, he was, the, the word means a, like a, a counselor, a legal counselor, an advocate. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you have ever had to use the services of a lawyer before. Okay? But a lawyer is someone who knows and understands the law. He knows and understands you. And he brings it before the judge and argues on your behalf. I like that picture when I think of the Holy Spirit as an advocate. He works in your best interest. He does everything he can to help you. He wants to see you win. In fact, if you are following along in your Bibles, hope that you are. John chapter 16 is where you want to turn next. John chapter 16, Jesus talking here about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember what I have told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because, this is verse 6, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless... I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I can't, that's hard for me to understand. How could it be to their advantage that Jesus would leave them? He continues, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? The, the Holy Spirit was to their advantage. And he's to our advantage. And so I want to 
think about a few ways in which he's to our advantage. First, uh, he dwells within us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you're following along, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, in context, Paul is talking about some problems. One of the big problems at Corinth was sexual immorality. But he makes this point in addressing the problem that's really important for us to consider. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You see, in their time, when they wanted to meet with God, when they wanted to go in the presence of God, they went, they had the temple at this time. They still went there. For many of the Jews, that was the place where you went to be in the presence of God. And what Paul's saying to the church at Corinth is, you have the presence of God within you. The Holy Spirit dwelling within you. So, that should impact how you live and how you act and, and should inspire you to want to live a holy life. Ask yourself, every place you've been this past week, some place the Spirit should be? That's a good check. <laughs> it's a reminder that He dwells within us and that we've been given Him from God. Second, He helps us in our weakness. Romans chapter 8, if you want to turn there. Romans chapter 8. Whole chapter is good. We're just going to pick one verse. He says, likewise, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I really, really love this verse. The longer I'm a Christian, I know that there are situations and times and instances when there are no adequate words, no high enough human intelligence to acknowledge what we feel to God. This morning, right before worship service, I was learning of a horrible, terrible Situation, and I was so taken aback by it, I simply replied, I don't have the words. If you've ever been there as a Christian, and you don't, you know you should pray to God, you know you need to take this to your Father, but you don't have the words, you have the Spirit who dwells within you, who takes and intercedes and helps you with groanings and spiritual uh, spiritual language that is too deep for human words. That's a beautiful thing. That's a reminder that your father knows you need help. And he didn't expect you to do it by yourself. The Holy Spirit is probably the best reminder of that. For you do-it-yourselfers, for you take-charge kind of people, You have a spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you might be neglecting. You might be not acknowledging. But you do so to your disadvantage. Because the Spirit's there to help you in times of weakness and hardship. To help you pray when you don't have the words. And to help you remember the promises of Jesus when you don't have a Bible readily at hand. Number three. 
The second promise, same verse. He intercedes in our prayers. If you've ever been to a place where you do not know what to pray for, know that you have a spirit who does. The Holy Spirit who understands God and he understands you and he makes the two work together. I just love this promise. Number four, he makes a difference within us. If you're following along in your Bible, I hope that you will turn to Galatians chapter 5. I don't uh, know exactly the guides for the safari. We're going around this morning and they had groups of kids and it was really neat to see I don't know what they were studying or what they were trying to do, but it made me think about how, as kids, we learn the fruits of the Spirit. We kind of learn them like a list. Love, joy, peace, patience, content, and there's a whole song that goes with it. And we learn the list. But it takes a while before you see the fruit. Does that make sense? The fruit is the result of something that's been planted. The fruit is a result of something that's taken root within the soil. The fruit is the result, the production of, we see this within the, the biological world. But the spirit, when he implants himself, when he roots himself within our hearts, he begins to impact who we are and how we are. Look at the verse again. I, I know that you've got it and you're, you're singing the song, but... Without the song, I want you to, to read from Galatians 5. Now he's, talking, he's just been talking about the works of the flesh. Those are evident. We know what those are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. We live in a world of all of that. And he says, I warn you as I warned those, you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit implies that the Spirit is there. And the result within a person when the Spirit's implanted in their heart and in their life is this. Love. Love unselfishly. Love sacrificially. Joy. Joy uncontained. Joy that's deeper than happiness. Joy that's not as de- dependent upon your externals, but upon, upon the eternal. Peace, which passes all human understanding. Patience. Patience that's beyond your ability to be patient. If you've got a short fuse, if you've got a hot head, and all of a sudden you're in a hard situation, and for some reason you're able to not lose your head, your fuse doesn't go off. That's the work of the Spirit. Kindness. Being kind to people who don't deserve it. Being kind to people who've been so critical and harsh. Goodness. Goodness because of a good father who's been so good to you. Faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Self-control, one of those things that is hard. But if we'll let the Spirit do it, it becomes easier. Whether it's watching what you eat or watching what you watch or paying attention to how much you allow the self to take over. If you let the Spirit bear fruit in your life, He makes a difference. And so we see that in the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just a list. It's a way of life. And finally, he guarantees our inheritance. He is a deposit, a seal of ownership placed upon us. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit within you is God's seal of ownership. This one's mine. Sometimes you get a wedding invitation and you get the little wax seal on there. That's kind of a neat thing. Some people do that. And that's kind of cool. You kind of hate to open the envelope because it breaks the seal. But, but there, there was a time when that was a very important mark to say that this letter was from a high official. This, this, what you were about to read was from the king himself. It was a seal owning the contents of what was inside. And so the spirit who's our seal is God saying, this one is mine. He's a, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He is a promise of better things to come. Let me give you a couple of examples. Think about it like this. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, I loved, I've told you this before, working in my grandpa's wood shop. Grandpa's wood shop for a seven, eight-year-old kid, that's a cool place to be. It's a cool place to go. But so, there's a lot of problems and dangers for a seven or eight-year-old. You could really get hurt if you're not paying attention. You could die if you're not paying attention. So I could only go in the wood shop when I went with Grandpa. He was the guide. And he let me do exactly and only what I was capable of doing. And he took over when it came time to do more than I was capable of doing. And there were different levels. First, you got to use the scroll saw. Then you got to use the band saw. Then you got to use the drill press. And finally... The zenith of all things Grandpa's Woodshop was the table saw. And forever, when there needs something to cut on the table saw, Grandpa would say, okay, I'll handle this. And we'd cut what he needed to cut because there was a lot of danger there. And I'll never forget the day when he said, I think you're ready for the table saw. He handled what I couldn't handle. He brought me to a place where I was ready to handle. He helped grow me. He was the guide. He helped and guided me as, I, as needed in every way within the woodshop. And that's the last thing I want us to understand about the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. And Jesus often called the religious leaders of the day blind guides, uh, which meant that they were neither helpful nor useful. You ever have a, a guide who's not helpful or useful? You know? Uh, you, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to go off that. Um, Jesus promised us a guide who was both helpful and useful. He said, I still have many things to say to you. This is John 16, verse 12. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The guide is an important part of the journey. This is a human illustration. This is not a scriptural one, but I, I think it'll help us understand. Think of every great movie you've ever seen. you got Star, War, uh, Star Wars with Luke Skywalker. He had Obi-Wan. Think of Karate Kid. I know I'm going old school, but this is the real Karate Kid. Uh, Daniel's son had Mr. Miyagi. Um, 
when, uh, when, when Marty had Doc McFly, when Harry Potter has Dumbledore. Um, every single uh, one of these stories, there's a hero, and he's the one that's going after the quest, but the guide is the one who helps him. And I, I kind of think about this like there are some rules about the hero and the guide. And, and in a, the world of storytelling, it's this. Number one, the guide never changes. From the, from the introduction to the, to the final scene of the movie, the guide remains fundamentally the same. But the hero always changes. The hero is growing and changing and maturing. The guide never leaves the hero. He's always there. She's always there. But sometimes the hero walks away from the guide. Sometimes the hero ignores the guide. Sometimes the hero forgets the guide. The, the guide sees and knows more than the hero does. He sees more potential within the hero than the hero sees within himself. He, he's, he knows the way better than the hero does. And number four, the guide always helps the hero to victory. There's a lot of places when that applies. But I think the same is true with us and the Holy Spirit. He never changes, but we do. He never leaves us. Sometimes we forget him, sometimes we ignore him. Hey, he sees and knows our potential more than we do within ourselves, and, and he always wants to help us to victory. This is the great and final promise within the Holy Spirit, and it's this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is our last verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The whole chapter is talking about God's comfort, or at least the first half of the chapter. But he says this in verse 21. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We have each other, the church, and we have the Holy Spirit as our gift, as our helper and our guide. He's there to help us in every way on our journey to, become, to, to get to heaven. And he's helping us become more like Christ each day if, and this is important, that we yield to him, if we walk in step with the Spirit. It is God who does this. And he does this so that we might not forget that we are never alone. This morning, I, I just simply want to ask you if you need your sins to be forgiven. I want to ask you if you would like some help in your journey with God. The beautiful gift of this is Acts 2.38. <laughs> you can have the gift of the forgiveness of sins, and you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you to walk with you, to guide with you, to intercede with you in prayer. He is God's promise, God's seal of ownership that you are his and that you never walk alone. But you have to choose. You have to choose if you want the forgiveness of sins and you have to choose whether you want the help of the Holy Spirit. If you're ready to make that decision, we'd be honored to help you with that. We have some shepherds at the back. We're going to sing a song. You can head to the back and say, hey, I'm ready to have my sins forgiven and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to help me to be better, to help me get ready to go to heaven. And maybe you need our 
prayers. Maybe you've been struggling in other ways. Uh, We'd like to pray with you as surely as the Holy Spirit prays with you and intercedes for you in prayer. If we can help you in any way, we'd be glad to do so. Please see our shepherds as we stand and sing.